wonderful Redeemer, King of kings and Lord of lords. You alone are our hope. You're our redemption, O oh God. You're our joy. You are our peace. Lord, the sons and daughters of God have brought their licks of fire together tonight, not to feed on a man, but to feed on the unfailing body word of the Son of Man. The prophets and the apostles have spoken down through the ages. And here we stand at the end of the ages, this great hour of redemption, Father, to be the beneficiary of all that you have spoken. What an hour that we live in, Lord. What a message that we have. What a portion that you have allotted for us, O oh God. Lord, may we really catch what the Spirit is speaking to the church. May you, the Word, come and move amongst us. Lord, you're here, but we invite you to move amongst us. We invite you to have the preeminence, Lord. We invite you, Father, to search out our hearts, for you know what we have need of more than we know ourselves. Lord, we each one commit ourselves to you, desiring to hear from you, Lord, in a supernatural way. It might not be words, but it will be revelation. It will be a quickening. And Lord, may it grant the needs of every listener this evening, whether it be here, whether it be someone listening even now on the internet, somebody with a great need. We remember Brother Michael, Sister Elaine tonight, other needs, oh God. We just ask you to bear, bear them up, Lord. We commit all to you, even Ethiopia tonight, Lord, the needs that are there. You know them, Father. And we ask you to meet them as we commit all things into your hands. Bless the reading of the word, we pray, and the speaking thereof in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Amen. Good to have each and every one here. Good to have Brother Ethan Hammermeister here and his parents. God bless you. I said that because ministers, children are always known as, oh, your brother Tim Dodd's son, or your brother Ed Hammermeister's son, and brother Ed and sister Sandy are good friends of ours. We're glad to have them with us. Somewhere here also is Tim Dodd's son, and he's in here, he's, he's out in the back or something, maybe with the children or arriving late or whatever it might be. He's here. My son Stephen, so glad to have them with us, and Lisa and the boys I see them here. God bless you, each and every one. Any other visitors? Welcome. Good to be in the house of the Lord. Let's take our Bibles and turn together to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. I want to mention, and I'll make mention of it now, um, we, we often update the website with uh, missions reports. And uh, we want you to avail yourself of that uh, but we also send out notices if if you're not you know people don't always look at the website or look at the missions port, uh, reports but if you're interested in knowing that there is a new missions report because there's some that we don't announce in the services or or we don't bring you up to date just in the service but there's often things happening sometimes too quickly to 
to mention. Uh, but we try to put them on the website. But if you want an update, you can uh, give your email address to the office and say you want to be on the list of missions updates. And every time there's a, a post on the website, we'll notify you and you can look at it at your next convenience. Amen. So I've been meaning to announce that for about a month and I keep forgetting. So now it's announced. Praise the Lord. Ephesians chapter 5. We've been in the subject of the mystery of love revealed. This will be part two. And uh, as I said last week, it's really Christ is the mystery of love revealed. And uh, we explored, began to explore last week the mystery of God's love, which has been revealed in the Son of Man ministry. And uh, as Brother Branham said in the Church Age book, he says, the importance of revelation by the Spirit to a true believer can never be overemphasized. Revelation means more to you than perhaps you realize. And so may God grant us an abundance of revelation in the service this evening. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and He is the Savior of the body. Now I want to just say here, as the Apostle Paul writes this, we realize he's writing about the mystery. But as he says, husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, I assure you they did not in that age fully understand this statement. Because this statement has fully been revealed in this age. He says, verse 24, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, even as the Lord the church. I could stop on that thought and and say, you know, no man yet hateth his own flesh. No man beats himself. Therefore, no man beats his wife. No man yells at himself. Amen. Yeah, you wives ever get up in the morning, see your husband at the mirror yelling at himself? No, he doesn't. He neither does he yell at his wife. Amen. You know... He says, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband." Amen. The Lord add His blessing to the Word. You may be seated. As I said last week, love is something that is very much misunderstood, and God's love is more misunderstood than love in general. Uh, 
And even as Brother Branham brought it out in the church age book, we find that how that Brother Branham talking about or taking the scripture in Malachi where Israel says, wherein hast thou loved us? And they begin to question God's love or, or ask him, you know, how is it that you love us? And, and, uh, and Brother Branham says, you see, they could not figure out God's love. They thought that love meant no suffering. They thought that love meant a baby with parental care. All right. So I want you to notice that now. So because this is what they thought or they thought of it as a, a child, uh, perhaps under a parent as he was their father. And he's even Jesus said, when you pray, pray our father, which art in heaven. But it's much greater than that. It's greater even than a mother's love. And as we often refer to a mother's love as perhaps the greatest human love that there is. But yet the Lord spoke to Israel in Isaiah chapter 49. And he said, uh, Zion has said, the Lord has forsaken me. And my Lord has forgotten me. And then God responds. He says, can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? And then he says, yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee? So he says, if a woman could forget her own child, he says, my love for you is greater than that. He says, though she forget, I will never forget. And then he says, behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. Amen. Now we know that there is a physical and a spiritual connection between a woman and her child. As a child came from the mother, mother's womb and a child is carried for nine months under the mother's heart. And uh, there seems to be something about that mother's love that no matter what a mother, what a child does. You know, Brother Branham talked about the woman in Memphis, Tennessee. How that, that, that woman was praying for her child who was dying from a venereal disease because he had got into the wrong crowd. And, and, and how that the plane was grounded because of the storm. And how the Holy Spirit led Brother Branham down the different streets into a very poor neighborhood of town. And as he went down this one street very early in the morning, he saw this uh, black sister leaning against the fence. And as he walked by, she said, good morning, parson. And he knew that was the reason that he was there. He says, aha, this must be it. And because God had not yet shown him a vision of the situation. But he had showed her in a dream that he would be walking down the street. And he showed her that, that, that there would be an Elijah because she said, I'm like a Shunammite woman. And this is the son that God gave me. And, and they began, he took her in, she took him in to see her son. And there he was dying on the bed. He was delirious. He was beyond uh, consciousness. And he was hallucinating and thinking he was out on the sea and in a fog. And he was lost. And, and her, her thoughts went to the child mommy's mama's baby i think she called him and as she began to refer to him as mama's baby brother branham said that's right she'll always be his baby but brother but god said rather he says though this woman could forget her child he says my love for you is greater than that this woman who waited on God, this woman who called on God, this woman who claimed her child god's love was greater than that and is greater than that 
And Israel had a, a, a problem or a, a, an incapacity to comprehend that. And truly without the Holy Spirit, you can't really comprehend the love of God. It's greater. It's, about, it's not about a mother and a child and that relationship, but it's about the immutable choice of God. It's about his eternal thoughts that never change. And I know you're listening very closely. Brother Branham goes on in the church age book. He says, God said that his love was elective love. Think about that now. God said his love was elective love. I chose you. I can never forget you. My choosing is never wrong. What I saw in you was eternal. My thoughts never change. There's nothing about my love that can ever diminish. It's, it's, a, it's a capacity that is in God that is so hard for us to comprehend. Can you say amen to that? You know, things happen in life that things go good, things go bad. You know, parents, we, you know, we get angry with our children. Okay, I'm the only one that gets angry with my children. My son's sitting there back. I see him now sitting there at the back. And he'll tell you he got the odd spanking. And uh, maybe more than the odd spanking. And he was the oldest boy. So I have here my oldest boy and my youngest boy. My oldest is 33. Not yet. Next week. Friday, actually. There'll be 33. And my youngest is eight months. That's quite an expanse. My youngest, my oldest has grown out of spankings. He might be able to spank me now. My youngest has not grown into them yet. But there are times that as parents, we get angry. But we still love our children. All right. We don't, we, don't, we, we have to be corrective because that's necessary in life. And it's, it's a necessary ingredient of an upbringing and children don't like it. And, but Paul speaks about it in Hebrews and he says, don't, be, don't despise the chastisement of the Lord. That there is correction that God has in our lives because he loves us. And if he corrects you, he deals with you as a son. But I want to say this morning that it goes beyond just a son because having a son represents that you know, this is my child. There's nothing I can do about him. For better or for worse, I had this child. I'm stuck with him or my daughter. I'm stuck with her the rest of my life. I brought them into the world. They're my responsibility. Somebody say amen. But it's more than just stuck with somebody. God chose you as his son. He chose you as his daughter. It was election. It was more than just, I brought you, or I, I made a creation, and you came into existence, and, and, and it's just happenstance. It's, you know, and that we realize that the age that we're living in, there's so much offspring that's coming into the world of broken relationships, and second marriages, and third marriages, and no marriages, and other relationships, and children not knowing who their father is, and all those kind of things are happening in the world, and, and they just come into existence, and they don't know, why am I here? Am I an accident? Am I, am I just here because something was a mistake or something? But, I, I, but when we get into God's Word, we realize we are not here by mistake. 
We are not here by accident. We are not here because something just happened, some kind of physical union. God watched over your parents. He watched over your grandparents. He watched over your great-grandparents because he had an attribute that he wanted to express in this hour. And it's an expression of his love that could not be expressed in any other way. Now, we, we went last week to Adam and we find that Adam, God made man and then God looking at man as a, in the likeness of himself. And you know, we, humanity is, is so weak when we look at it. And, and how that Adam was there in a condition that he could fall, put on free moral agency. And we realize angels fell even before this time. And how that Lucifer was cast out of heaven, came down into the Garden of Eden and began to deceive Eve. And all of these things began to take place. But, but the last of God's creation, God made the universe. God made the sun, the moon, the stars. God made the heavens. God made angels. And angels, of course, which he made first in that dimension that made him, a, that made him God. It made him an object of worship as the angels began to worship him. And all of the things that went on in heaven, which we're not going to go into. But yet in all of that, God comes down making the universe, making this earthly creation, making, making life in the form of, uh, of animals and botany life and fish and, and birds and all of those kind of things. And then at the last day, God says, let us make man in our image. And he forms man in, in an image that's a reflection of himself. And he looks at that man. Now here he is after all of this other creation has taken place. He's come right up to the end of it. And he says, now it's not good for Adam to be alone. And so God brought all the animals to Adam. And Adam began to name them and call them, whether it be lion or tiger or elephant or, or parakeet or, or whatever it might be as he names them name after name and all these different animal forms and, and, and calling them out in, in what they are in the, in the sight of God. But in all of that, it says there was no help meet. There was not found a help meet for him. There was not something in that part of creation that answered to the deep that was in Adam. All right? Because Adam was a type of Christ. And so then the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which, out of which God took from man he made to be woman and he brought her to the man. And Adam said... This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called, and I always like to say, Whoa, man. Because when you meet that one, Brother Ray, it's whoa, man. That's the one for me. And that's what Adam felt about Eve. He didn't feel that way about the chimpanzee. He didn't feel that way about the elephant or the tiger or the lion. But there was one that Adam had his eye on. And when this one, God brought her to Adam, it was the answer of the deep. There were, see, there was an expression in Adam that could not find expression any other way. There had to be something come out of him for, to bring the response of love from deep within Adam to that individual. That, he might, that God might bring out of Adam what indeed God was going to bring out of himself. God could not find a helpmeet amongst the angels. Hello? God could not find a helpmeet in Lucifer. God could not find a helpmeet in Michael. 
He could not find a help meet in Wormwood or any of the other angels or any of the other creation or any of the other planets or any other things. But I'm going to have a bride, God says. She's in my thoughts and there's going to come an expression of this love which hitherto has not been expressed yet. Hallelujah. But there will become an expression. And if we could just realize, I just thought this, this evening really what I ought to do is push all my notes aside. And just, just preach as the Lord gives utterance. Because a lot of it is, is hard to even put down on a piece of paper. Because there was something in God that God determined. A passion within the Lord. You know, that, that he desired. There's something like, that's a small reflection in young men. Now, now I have to go to men because even Paul does. But, but there's in young men, as they begin to grow up, there's something yearning in them. I've got to have more. Something that a, that, that a friend can't satisfy. Something that a nice car can't satisfy. Something that a good job can't satisfy. Something that my own apartment can't satisfy. Come on. Nothing else can satisfy it, but he might not know what it is, but I'll tell you what it is. There's a help meet for him. There's someone that'll make that response come out of him and be an expression in life. And and that's where a, a, a single man can relate to the mystery that Paul is speaking of, as well as a married man. A married man might say, well, I know a taste of it, but it's much deeper than that when it comes to a thought of God. There was nothing in the minor forms of creation that could help Adam or be a helpmate for him. Creation, it was a helpmate for Adam, and I'll just say it this way, it was not a helpmate for creation. You'll understand in a moment why I say it that way. Creation had Adam. Creation didn't need Eve. Eve was a byproduct. Adam needed Eve. Creation had Adam, and in Adam was Eve. But Eve wasn't made for creation. Eve was made for Adam. That's why the scripture says man was not made for the woman. The woman was made for man. It's an expression of the love of God. As Paul says, it's a mystery, but I speak really concerning Christ and the church. If we can realize we're not made for this world, we're made for God. Hallelujah. I'm not made to be successful in this age. Hallelujah. I'm not made to be some great hero for this age. I'm made for God. I'm made to be his expression. I'm made to express his word. I'm made to catch his thoughts. I'm made to receive his revelation. I'm made to be pregnated with his word. That's why I'm made. The whole world isn't made like that. That's why they can't see the things that we talk about. But we are made for a specific purpose. We are thoughts of his thoughts. We are flesh of his flesh. We are love of his love. We are the expression of his expression. We are his very image in bride form. So a prophet could come under the revealing of the Son of Man and say, She is him. She is him. It was in him before the foundation of the world. But now in this hour, under the revealing of the Son of Man, she becomes him. Through a bride and bridegroom relationship, because she becomes the very expression of him. God could not find a helpmate anywhere else. Only in humanity, God made a people to reflect himself. Hallelujah. So the Son of Man ministry is marriage. 
Jesus came as 2,000 years ago to Israel, but they wouldn't have him. He came as son of man. He desired to be the expression of God's love to Israel because even as you read of God's love in the Old Testament, he expresses himself to Zion. Zion has said, you have forsaken me. What is Zion? It's the bride attribute. It's, it's, he's coming to that image of bride. You say, he says, but I love you and my love for you is greater than a mother to a child. He says, I can't forsake you, but you're engraved on the palms of my hand. Your walls are always before me. He's expressing in the nation of Israel this love that he has for a union and desiring a union. And then when he comes down in flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the very attribute of God manifested in flesh, he's desiring to express something, but they wouldn't have it. We don't want that relationship. We've got the law. we got God figured out. Oh, I've got a quote. I don't know if I'll get to it, but, you know, in Christ, Mr. God revealed, Brother Brown said, Moses had God figured out too, till he came to the pillar of fire. And then he realized who God really was and what he didn't have, what he lacked was in that pillar of fire. So God released his love in the person of Jesus Christ. And this is where it comes down to us personal. Lord, help us to get there tonight. But he he released his love in the person of Jesus Christ. And God coming to Israel with love, that power was unlimited. The devil could do nothing about it. No matter what the situation was, it was vanquished. Lepers didn't mean anything. Be clean. Dead didn't mean nothing. Talking about ham, raise them up. Amen. The sick with palsy, the blind received their healing. There was nothing. It was limitless. It was the unlimited power of God that was the creative power of God of the whole of creation. And the whole of of God's very thoughts and expression now coming down. Listen, saints, it, it, it overwhelms my mind. All of God's love become embodied in a man. All of God's love became embodied in one man. No wonder John leaned on his bosom. They call him the apostle of love. No wonder he leaned on his bosom. No wonder all he could say was about God's love. No wonder he's the one that, that brought the reality in John chapter 15 or, or recorded the prayer in John chapter 17 as I was reading today just after the communion and just before the the. Calvary as Jesus prays prays for that oneness in John chapter 17 and all of that unfolding and John catching it and then at the end of John's ministry all he could say to the people was love one another really that's that's the bottom line love one another and the lawyer comes to Jesus and says you know what's the greatest commandment you know here's the the love of God embodied in flesh what is the greatest commandment is it honor your father and mother is it don't kill is it don't commit adultery Don't steal. Jesus says the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Don't just just say you love him. Love him with everything you are. Get into a relationship with God that all you can see is God. Be so in love with him that it doesn't matter what anybody's flesh looks like. 
Hello? It doesn't matter about their prickly nature because you're in love with him. It doesn't matter what what people act like. It doesn't matter what problems arise because you're in love with him. And you know that he loves you. And and you come to the revelation that Paul did and says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. I'm convinced there's nothing able to separate us from this love. I'm convinced if God be for us, nothing can be against us. Amen. I'm convinced of these things. I'm, I'm in that kind of union. And he boils it down to this great power called love. He came to Zacchaeus to change the situation. We heard about that on Sunday. He come, he come to the woman in adultery, caught in adultery. You know, so many situations the law could do nothing about. But love manifested could change the situation. All right, let me just drop it in. You are that love manifested. And that love is in you by the Holy Ghost. And if you could realize the power that's in you to speak worlds into existence is the love of God that's in you that was in Jesus Christ and holds the same attributes and that love can change every situation. Your wisdom won't change every situation. Your knowledge won't change every situation. Your revelation won't change every situation. Oh, Brother Tim, is that so? Listen, I might as well go to it now. I had it last week, but I'll go there now. 1 Corinthians 13. Why don't you turn with me? That love. Though I speak, verse 1, with the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I am become as a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. He says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. See, if I could... If I could perform all miracles by faith, I'm still am nothing without love. There will be things that fail. He says, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and I give my body to be burned. He says, and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. And, and the church has looked through this scripture throughout the ages, but it's not really had understanding of it fully because of what follows. Let's jump down to verse 8. He says, love never fails. Love never fails. So you get the God's love in the right channel in your life. It will never fail. He says, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Oh, if Brother Branham was here, I'd just go to him and, and, and ask him, you know, Brother Branham, whatever, whatever you say, that's exactly what I'm going to do. You know, what, you just speak the word. But there were times that people went to Brother Branham that God didn't tell Brother Branham what to tell them. Because it's not the man. It's a gift through which somebody contacts God. And Brother Branham says, you operate the gift. Though we have a, a pastor with a great gift of wisdom. Excuse me for saying that, Brother Biscoe. I don't mean to put you on the spot. But, you know, we might go to Brother Biscoe and say, oh, there's great wisdom there. And it's wonderful. And I could just ask him. But there will be times that that will fail. There will be times that he doesn't have an answer. Hello? Because he's a man. And in him resides a gift. And through the gift, God can choose to bless. But those things will fail, the Apostle Paul says. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come. 
Hallelujah. Then that which is in part shall be done away with. So Brother Branham takes it up in 1964 and he says, when that which is perfect is come. He says, so all these little things of jumping up and down like a kid trying to talk in tongues and all these other things. When that which is perfect is come and we do today by God's help. We do have today the perfect interpretation of the word with divine vindication. So the church ages has looked at 1 Corinthians 13 and looked at that scripture says, when that which is perfect has come, what does that mean? Now we know what it means. When this message comes. Hello? When the Son of Man is revealed. When divine love is unveiled for its reality of what it is. When the union, the the relationship between the bride and the bridegroom comes into reality. When that is come, it will supersede all of those things which will fail from time to time. It is the greater that through which you will be able to conquer all situations. You will. Because it will be in you. And it can be expressed, as Brother Bradham said, in the token. And you, you get everything out of the way and you create an atmosphere around about you. What is that? That's the token. That's the life of Christ. What is the life of Christ? It's divine love. In 1959, Brother Bradham said, he said, you made denominations. I'm not talking about you, but this is the way Brother Bradham said. He says, you made denominations. He says, we have it. And the rest of them's not in it. Could apply, I guess, in some ways to some people that claim to believe the message. We have it, and the rest of them's not in it. Says who? Who says you're in it? Maybe you got it wrong, and someone else has got it right. He says, you're leaving out the love of God, the chief cornerstone. I don't care how many miracles you can perform. How many prophets you have, how many works of grace you do, it'll never meet or never do anything because the church of the living God is melted together and cemented by love. Hallelujah. All right, so let's take a step back now. I gave you my opening and closing thought. Now I'll give you the meat. I let you eat dessert before you had the main course. Now you got to eat your peas. Brother Tom's on the 18th, he preached a, a message that went right up to this subject. His last quote was this. And if he being the groom, the bride has to come forth because it's part of him. And it can only be the manifestation of the fulfilling of all the revelations and the others that spoke of the bride. All right, so he says if he's the groom, if Matthew chapter 25, I believe it is, the cry went out, behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. If he's the groom, that means there has to be bride. If he's the groom now, if he come from son of God ministry to son of man ministry, and really you can't understand this change of son of God, son of man, son of David, unless you understand the bridegroom. 
And if he now becomes the bridegroom under son of man in order to be united, there has to be someone to be united to. There has to be bride. So Brother Branham says the bride has to come forth because it's part of him. It can only be the manifestation of the fulfilling of all the revelations and the others that spoke of the bride. He being the groom. I want, to, I want to just dwell on that thought for a minute. He being the groom. Adam was the groom. It was not good for him to be alone. This message came forth. The message is Christ. But it wasn't good for the message to be alone. There had to come forth a people to believe the message. There had to come forth a people to become one with the message. Not everybody will believe the message. Not everybody is bride. But, there, but be he being the groom, him revealing himself. Oh, there's, there's God in so many uh, masks and so many morphes, so many uh, unveilings of himself as, as he reveals himself in different ways to Israel, in different ways to others. But then in the last days when he reveals himself as bridegroom, it's necessary that there be a bride part. It's necessary that there be something that come out of him. Because as it was not good for the first Adam to be alone, it's not good for the second Adam to be alone. So in the opening of the word under the anointing, and you'll catch the, the, as I mentioned it last week, but you'll catch the importance of the anointing here in a little while. He says, but under the eagle anointing, producing not the son of man, but the revealing of the son of man. The revealing of who he is. The revealing of the bride. Son of man is office. Yes, he steps into that office, but it doesn't do any good for him to become son of man if there isn't a revealing of the son of man. And so as as the, the anointing reveals him, the maturity and the full manifestation now of bride time has come. And I realize I'm using words that are not simple, maybe for your mind to follow because you don't hear them every day. But what, I, what I'm saying is this, we've come to an hour of unstoppable sequences of events that must take place. And it's not your power that's producing them, it's the grace of God. It says, Paul speaking of it in Thessalonians, he says, The Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout. The shout is a message. So then when the message goes forth, it begins to create or begins to usher in a series of events pertaining to the catching away that's unstoppable. It's, it's going around and around the world until people are affected by the message. A thousand in a month in Uganda, over in India, just in one series of meetings, 50 people are catching in. Over in Ethiopia, it goes to a little village and quickens them there. Over in China, I won't even go into the testimonies I know because Murphy's speaking on Sunday and he'll maybe share some of them. But it happens and it goes to individuals. It begins to quicken. What did that? Not Murphy's efforts. Not my efforts, not Brother Biscoe's efforts, not anybody's efforts. We're just caught up in something. Hallelujah. We're caught up in something. We're caught up in something that's taking us beyond ourselves. We're caught up in something that we can't stop. It becomes a runaway freight train. I'm talking about a mystery. I'm talking about marriage. When two couples 
two individuals come to fall in love with each other, and I'm looking at some young couples here, it becomes a runaway freight train. You can't stop it. Hello? Don't tell me we're dead. Don't tell me you're too old to be romantic back there. Come on. Think back. Jog your memory a little bit. Amen, Sister Grace. It becomes a runaway freight train. You can't stop it. It just starts to build. And it starts to build. And people become involved. And this one begins to plan. And that one begins to supply. And the father becomes involved. And the mother becomes involved. And people become aware. And, and the planning starts. And, and, and courtship starts. And, and relationships. And, and phone calls. And texting. And, and emails are sent. And, and they're standing in the hallway talking to each other. And, and no, no matter how much you know, dad might come along and say, Okay, that's enough. You know. I think, I, think you, I think you need to come home now. Oh, just five more minutes. Phone calls late into the night till you can't even keep your eyes open anymore. And, and things, what is it? It's a runaway freight train. Nobody can stop it. That's the revealing of the Son of Man. Nobody can stop this message. Governments can put laws into place. Right now over in Ethiopia, they're trying to put things under such constraint that it's hindering the work of the Lord over there and what's happening. And, and, and it may be, and you better pray, it may be that Brother Bus will no longer be allowed in the country because of the laws that are being put into place. What's happening? They can't stop the message. It's already got a hold of lives. It's already got a hold of individuals. Hallelujah. How did it get behind the iron curtain? We don't know, but it got a hold of people. And it began to change lives and transform people. Why? Because God is coming for a bride. Amen. When Ruth came home with the six measures of barley and Naomi looked at it and she looked at it, Ruth and she looked at the six measures and she says, you can rest because he won't rest. Hallelujah. He won't rest until all is fulfilled. When you look at the word that has been poured out in the message of the hour, what does it tell you? It tells you he won't rest. God is possessed by his own love for his bride. And he has a rapture in mind. And he won't rest until all is fulfilled. Glory. I know it's Wednesday night. Praise the Lord. You need this. Praise the Lord. Make you feel like you didn't work today. There must come one that is flesh of his flesh. She must be here. John cried out in John 3. Oh, if they would have just listened to John. Sometimes if people would just listen to Brother Branham. He's able to just listen to John. He says, you yourselves bear me witness I, that I said, I'm not the Christ. I, but, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. Oh, if they just would have listened. Oh, if he's the bridegroom, then there should be a bride. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This is my joy. This my joy therefore is fulfilled. He must increase and I must decrease. 
That was the Elijah anointing on John the Baptist. That same Elijah anointing was on Brother Branham who rejoiced at the voice of the sign. Who rejoiced at the voice of the bridegroom who cried out, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. He's standing here in this hour and declaring, I'm not him. I don't care if I lose my voice. I'm not him. But I'll tell you what, I've heard his voice. And he's calling for a bride. Hallelujah. The one that has the bride is the bridegroom. Don't fall in love with me. Fall in love with him. And any minister is the same way. Don't fall in love with me. God didn't give you to me. He gave you to himself. That he might present himself a church. Hallelujah. He sent ministers. He sent servants. For what purpose? To tell you what the message of the bridegroom is. That he might wash you in the water of the word. That he might present you to himself not having spot or wrinkle or blemish or any such thing. But ultimately he's not presenting you to the ministry. He's presenting you to himself. Hallelujah. He's the one that we're in love with. Are you with me? Hallelujah. 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 Praise be our God. Behold, the bridegroom comes. Go out to meet him. The denominations are looking at this message in a lot of places in the world. I wonder if it's too late. I wonder if it's the foolish virgin that's looking for oil, realizing that their prosperity doctrines and their, their foolishness, uh, their foolish uh, uh, attraction towards gifts or, or tongues or, or prophecies or all these kind of different ideas that they had for their religious experience, they realize there's nothing there. It's empty. It's hollow. It's, it, it's not something you want to have. But if you would come to the one, I hope it's not too late for them. I hope they don't go looking for oil and are not able to get it. Because it's a late hour. What's it for? The bridegroom comes for a marriage union. What's the marriage union for? For headship. The headship of love. The capstone. The headship has come to the body. Now, you can put that up on the screen. I thought I'd just look at this for a moment. Out of Ephesians 5. The love and marriage relationship. Because a, a true relationship, a fulfilling, lovely relationship must contain the parts that Paul describes here in Ephesians 5. And I just took, out of the scripture, I took some parts, just some statements, that these key elements are the key elements of a true relationship. Now remember, Paul is describing it pertaining to an earthly marriage, but he's really speaking of Christ in the church. And he starts out with one that husbands loves to use. Wives, submit to husbands. Amen. It got quiet all of a sudden. But it's, it's a key to the marriage. 
He's not speaking just of husbands and wives. Yeah. This is not a popular statement. Matter of fact, this I don't think is even politically correct anymore in this age. Wives submit to husbands? What? You mean to tell me that I have to submit to my... Now, of course, in the bride, this is easy. But in the world, this is like trying to get somebody to eat worms. You know, it's just not palatable out there. Wives submit to husbands. But then he goes, husband, he goes on, he says, husbands is the head of the wife. Is that right? All right, that's there in Ephesians 5. And the reason I pulled them out is because I want, I want to put them up before you. And he says that husbands love your wife as your own body. All right. He says, don't just love her like you love a child or love her like, you know, you say, I, I love spaghetti or anything like that. You know, no, love your wives as your own body. This is, this is a, a greater love than even the love for children. And so you, you have to uh, enter into this relationship. And, I, and, I, and you'll notice I've color-coded these. The, the pink ones are what the wife's supposed to do, and the blue ones are for the husbands. All right? Just in case any of you were wondering which one was yours. Nourish and cherish her. It does not say nourish and cherish him. Nourish and cherish her. Nourish implies or, or relates to bringing her into her position, helping her, supplying to her. Matter of fact, the same word is used of children as far as nourish. But the cherish part is the love part. Revere her and, and, and not revere necessarily, but uh, I don't have the definition written in front of me, but as you cherish her, value her is the word I'm looking for. Esteem her of great quality. As a matter of fact, esteem her as the greatest gift that you can have next to salvation. I'll say it because I mentioned it last week. Hunting is not the greatest gift you can have next to salvation. Fishing is not the greatest gift you can have next to salvation. Amen? Neither is going to Hawaii or anywhere else or... Whatever more it might be, or a new suit, or a new car, or a new house, or, or, or whatever it might be. A new rifle, a new whatever. That's not the second greatest gift. If God gives you a wife, you nourish and cherish her. Matter of fact, you can take this statement and say, what she becomes is what you make her. Because he's speaking of Christ in the church. He's washing her with the water of the word. She is what he makes her. He's not interested in her making herself. He gives her in her robes. He gives her her attire. He feeds her. He brings her to maturity. He does all of those things because he has a certain something in mind. And that's why uh, I remember years ago preaching on this as a pastor and, and uh, uh, saying, you know, because of this scripture and, and because of what we'll call the cycles of life, I'll say for the first seven years, you can blame her parents for what she is. But after seven years, it's you that were to nourish and cherish her. And she becomes what you made her. You can't go on. You've been married 40 years. Well, it's because of the way her parents raised her. You know, she wouldn't have been raised by these hillbillies or whatever, you know. You know, we'd have, been, we'd have had a better relationship. No, that's not it. 
After a time, you're the one that's nourishing her and cherishing her. You got her in an immature state or an incomplete state. And then because of that, you're the one that's to bring her into her position. Okay? Husbands, give yourself for your wife. You notice a lot of these are blue. So marriage is not a selfish relationship. As Christ gave himself for the church. Husbands, give yourself. Don't be selfish. Give yourself. Lay down your own desires. I know I'm speaking about marriage, but I'm speaking about a mystery. I'm spe- and, I, and, and I asked the Lord before the service, help me to focus on the eternal and not get down into the little bitty details of our earthly marriages because we always should be working on them. I got a few amens there. All right. For this cause is a man to leave his father and mother. This is a good one for this age. Don't live in their basement. Don't think, well, I'll just get married and we'll move in with mom and dad. Uh, That one makes me shake my head. Leave his father and mother. And they say, well, we'll move in with her father and mother. No, no, it says, be joined only to the wife. Don't be moving in with her or her moving in with your parents. Or, now, I know sometimes economic conditions can be rough and, and you've got to go through a season of trial living with, living with your in-laws. And that would be a season of trial, I'm sure. Just ask my son-in-law. But nevertheless, you know, like overseas, a lot of times they all live in the same area, the same house, the same compound, the same property. And so uh, it's economic conditions that have dictated that. But that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says that you're to, you're to create a new union and this union is to be you and the wife because it's relating to something here. It's relating to Christ and the church. It's not Christ and the church and the world. It's not Christ and the church and the church's ambitions. You know, many times a woman, she gets married, but, but uh, she feels like, well, what, he, he can't really provide everything I want. Therefore, I need to go out and work. And I need to provide for the things that I want. Well, who said in the Bible that God would provide your wants? And then she has her idea of the direction it should... I know it's nobody in this room. I'm talking about the world. And then she has her ideas of the direction it should go. And he has his ideas. You know, that's not two becoming one flesh. Because when two become one flesh, there's only one headship. A body has only one head. But if there's two bodies, there's two heads. If there's two fleshes, there's two heads. And so is it in the church. She comes completely under the revealed word of the hour. It's not the end time revelation plus your Baptist ideas. It's not the end time revelation plus your Pentecostal ideas. It's the end time revelation that God shines his light on the word and brings us back to the original truth. Cuts away all of man-made ideas. And there's a lot of man-made ideas. There's things that started in even Wesley's age. and Things that started in Luther's age that came into the church. And the Pentecostals brought things into the church. And it was just things they did. But it wasn't in the Word. But the end time Word came to bring us back to the original faith. 
the faith of our fathers and he'll turn the hearts of the children back to the faith of the fathers. Is that right? A man is to leave his father and mother and be joined only to his wife. There's a lot that could be said on that scripture. And these two shall be one flesh. This is a mystery to the world. How that a man and a woman can become so one. That's what Jesus prayed in John 17. He said, Father, that they may be one even as we are one. It was his prayer between communion and Calvary. He's desiring that the cup would pass. But that cup had a purpose. Good Friday is Friday that's commemorating Calvary. It's commemorating the sacrifice. But it had a purpose. The purpose wasn't just to die and pay for sin. But the purpose was, as Jesus prayed, that they may be one. Even as I and you are one. Jesus never had a different idea from his Father. Because the fullness of God was dwelling bodily in him. Even to Calvary when, it, when the flesh, which was not corrupt and didn't have to die, he could have lived forever. And yet in all of that, he had to lay down his life. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Let the word be fulfilled in me. I want to go this way. My flesh desires life. There was no life like his life. But yet, not my will, but thy will be done. You take control. God became flesh that he might lay down his life, that he might die. How a man and a woman can become so one that they, that they have one leadership. Oh, I just want to stay there. That a man and a woman can become so one They have one mind. They have one head. They have one leadership. They have one high priest in the home. They can become so one. There's no object of the woman that says, and I'm speaking about the church, that says, well, I don't like that part of the lamb. Those parts don't taste good for me. No, eat the whole lamb even the pertinent parts. There's aspects of the word when it's revealed that is contrary to our human nature because it didn't come from human nature. It came from God nature. And it takes a spiritual revelation to walk with understanding in that which is pleasing to the Father. Sometimes it's pleasing to the Father to fast. Sometimes it's pleasing to the Father to make your body under subjection and pray. And keep praying. Because you can never pray too much. And when you're done praying, pray some more. Sometimes it's pleasing to the Father to put you through a trial. Because you have to learn something that, only, that you can only learn in a trial. It's pleasing to the Father to have hardship. I, headship. Uh, this, this situation comes to my mind. I'm just going to share it. Many years ago, when, when we just were starting the church up north, very, in the very beginnings of it, the church was tiny. I don't know if we had a half a dozen souls. 
Maybe there was probably, well, maybe, I guess there maybe was 10, 12 people, including children. And my wife's parents came to visit. And uh, they weren't believers. And they were only going to be there for three days. And it was a midweek. And there was going to be a Wednesday night service. And some of the people were not going to be there. And so I just, I was watching my wife because I knew she was glad to have her parents there. I, I was glad to have them there too, but she was more glad than I was. And, and so as time went on, she realized, I could tell she was hoping I was going to cancel the Wednesday night service so that she could, you know, we could spend more time with her parents. And I just went on as normal, got ready for service and I worked anyway, so I worked all day, come home from work, went in my study, spent the last few hours getting ready for the Wednesday night service. And I think we're meeting in the basement at that time and, and uh, opened up the basement and a few people came in, we had a service. Praise the Lord. It was a nice service, wasn't anything special, but God was there. And I said to my wife afterwards, after her parents left the next day on the Thursday, I said to her, I says, you were hoping I was going to cancel the Wednesday night service. And she says, yeah, I don't understand why you wouldn't cancel. Like, so-and-so wasn't there, and, you know, there was just a few people there. It wouldn't have hurt. Would it have to cancel? My parents don't come very often and all of that. And I said to her, I says, I know, I know where you're coming from. I says, but if I canceled the Wednesday night service, I would have been saying to your parents, that they're more important to me than my service to the Lord. And I'm sorry, I couldn't do it. I says, though it be ever so humble. And when I said that, she fully understood. She says, I'm glad you didn't cancel the service. But you see, she, at first she didn't understand. See, sometimes things happen to us that we don't understand. And we have to go through things as the Holy Spirit leads us. And we know we're a believer. We know God loves us. We know that, that His eye is upon us. But why do I find myself in this situation? Why do I find my children in this situation? Why do we find them struggling with their relationship with God? Why, why isn't it just easy that you know, they all get saved and they all just are, are, are wonderfully serving God? And that's not that they shouldn't be. I'm just saying, why? Sometimes we don't have the why. Why one struggles, another doesn't struggle. I'd, I'll tell you the truth. And this is just me being honest and open with you. I don't understand why I have two sons that are preachers of this message, and I have two sons that are in the world. When you figure that out, you can tell me. I don't, know, I don't comprehend that. The same God for one is the same God for the other. And while they might be in the world, I wouldn't say they're, they're unbelievers in the sense that they don't believe in God. I know they believe in God. I've talked to them. I've spoken to them. But they haven't surrendered their life to God. They haven't come to that personal walk and personal experience. And I don't want them to serve God because I want them to serve God. I want them to serve God because they want to serve God. But I'm just saying there's some things you go through in life that you don't understand. That you, 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 it just seems hard. But yet you know there's a power of love there. And if love can just come on the scene, 
Let me just get into the mind of God. Let me just be one with Him. Let me just be flesh of His flesh, bone of His bone, life of His life, spirit of His spirit. Let me just walk in tune with Him as Brother John displayed those oscillating uh, uh, metronomes and how that they all came into, into harmonic convergence or whatever it is. You know, I don't know the right word for it. And as they all come into that, that oneness together, all of a sudden everything just seems to click. Everything just seems to fall into place. And Brother Branham said that about the wheels of God. He said, the wheels of God turn slowly. He said, ever so slowly. But you know when the certain wheels get to a certain position, all of a sudden it's going to go click. And everything falls into place. Because he's God. And his love is immutable. It might be ever so complicated and beyond our comprehension. But he's God. I've got to bring this to a close. We're out of time. And finally, he says, wives, reverence your husband. That word reverence is fear. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Wives, church, reverence your husband. Reverence him. Don't treat him casual. Don't treat his love lightly. Don't just come to God as though he owes you. No, he chose you. And that in itself is an, an inestimable uh, measure of value that is beyond anything we could ever think we comprehend. The value of God's love. And how some people walk away from that. And they just step away and say, oh well, you know, God loves me anyway. No, it's not that way. It's a, it's a wife responding to the love of a husband. When she finally realizes, this is the one. Amen. Sister Linda, when you realize, this is the one. Amen. Sister Dorothy, when you realize, this is the one. You, you grow up as a little girl. You want to be a wife. You want to be a mother. You want to have a home. You want to do all these things. And all of a sudden you realize, this is the one. That means so much. Amen. Something happens and you realize nothing else is as important as this relationship. Come on, saints. I'm talking about the mystery. I'm talking about the heavenly bridegroom and the earthly bride. Nothing else is as important as this relationship. Nothing else matters. I don't care what happens. If I lose my health, if I lose whatever, if I lose the, what I think is the most important thing on the earth to me, and I've been there. Nothing is so great as his love for you. That when you know that in your deepest, darkest moments, he's still there. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Let me read you a few quotes and we'll close. I got them on the overhead so I can go through them quickly. We're talking about the revelation of marriage. Headship. I don't have time to finish it. I'll be preaching again. Maybe we'll see if we have another part to this or not. Whatever the Lord's will is. I want to just, let me just go back a second here. I want to just, before we look at this, I want you to catch something. And this is for those of you that like to study these things. Listen, this message is as deep as you want it to be. If you just want it to be shallow, it's shallow. Repent, be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's that simple. Praise the Lord. 
You don't have to understand all mysteries. But if you want to know about the love of God and what He means to you and what you mean to Him, I'll tell you what, there's as much depth in this message as you want. And when Brother Branham takes Christ, the mystery of God reveals and begins to expound on the, on the revelation of the seventh seal. And as I was studying it this week, just desiring, Lord, just take me further in this. I'm, I didn't hit it all last Wednesday. I need to go further. And as I begin to study it, I begin to see the, the importance of the headship part of marriage. And then I be, something began to strike me. Go back to Christ, the mystery of God revealed. And about page 73 of the, of the, book, of the original book, uh, you'll find out Brother Brown takes the scripture in Colossians in chapter 1 that he might be the head, that he might have the headship in all things, having the preeminence. And now he begins to take that in the very close of the message now for about 12, 13 pages of that message. And he just begins to expound on what the headship means to the church. Now as he's speaking about headship, he's speaking about marriage. So he's speaking about a marriage relationship in a way that some people won't catch it. But the bride catches it because she knows he's the head of this relationship. And these two shall be one. All right, so he begins to take, he says, Then the head and the body are becoming one in works and in signs and in life. Vindicated by God himself through his promised word for the last days. He promised this in the last days. Now, if you're spiritual, you'll catch it. So he's not laying it out. But he, when he says the head and the body one, he's speaking about the threefold purpose. All that was in God was poured into Christ. All that was in Christ, he poured into the church. The church in Christ uniting like Adam and Eve, walking out in another garden of Eden. He's talking about a marriage relationship. He says, being personally identified by the original headship, we have the answer to the devil's question. Always stop right there. Being personally identified by the original headship. The original thought that God had in his mind of relationship. That he would be the head of a bride. That he would have a wife. Being personally identified now in the last days. The revealing of the son of man. All of these things begin to explode like Roman candles. And he says we have the answer to the devil's question. What is the devil's question? Who do you think you are? I'll tell you who I am. I'm bride. I'm the love of his life. I'm the apple of his eye. I'm the one that he had in his mind before the foundation of the world. I'm that one. And you can't do anything about it, devil. Hallelujah. Because he chose me. Glory, he says. Amen, glory. I say amen and glory too. He says we have the answer to the devil's question. He, Christ, is risen and has paid the price and raising up the body. The devil can't stand it. Hallelujah. Why have we come to an age where the devil has inundated the age and says there's no such a thing as headship. There's no such a thing as a real marriage. Marriage doesn't matter. And, and you know, it can be man with woman or it can be woman with woman or man with man or this one with that one. And you can be a man, you can be a woman, you can be this, you can be that. They don't have a clue anymore because the devil has bombarded them. But there's a people that have caught the revelation of the word. And we have the answer to the devil's question. And the devil can't stand it. Hallelujah, I'm glad the devil can't stand it. He says that's the reason these ecumenical kingdoms are setting up. That's the reason they're all coming into what they're doing now. The devil, 
That's the reason he's howling the way he is. His wickedness, his scheme has been uncovered by the resurrected Christ in the headship over his body. There's a union that has taken place. Hallelujah. And the devil's scheme has been uncovered. He says, we've got the devil's answer. It's not me that liveth, but Christ the word living in me. It's not my idea. It's his power. It's not my idea. It's his word. He promised it and here it is. He said it would be here and here it is. What did he say would be here? The bridegroom, it's necessary that there be a bride. Hallelujah. He said it would be here and here it is. We've got his answer. The headship is here. Christ, the risen Lord. It's here in the same power of his resurrection that he ever was. Manifesting himself. There's the devil's answer. Hallelujah. Devil wants to know, why are you the way you are? Because I've caught the revealing of the Son of Man. Because God's love has been revealed to me personally. He says, what is it? It's not them people. The headship and the body has become one unit. Praise the Lord. He could just say marriage. But he says the headship and the body has become one unit. It's God manifested in his people. That's the reason the husband and wife is no longer twain. They're one. God and his church is one. Christ in you. God's great revelation. Glory to God. Even bearing his name. His name is Jesus. The anointed. Hallelujah. Oh, I love when these statements click into place. His name is Jesus. The anointed. What do you mean the anointed? Well, Brother Brandon, we thought you were the son of man. Or we thought the pillar of fire was the son of man. And some people say, you're the son of man. He says, I'm not he. He says, the angel, the pillar of fire is not he. The pillar of fire is the anointing that's come upon the church to produce the son of man, the son of David, the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. His name is Jesus, the anointed. The reason he's called Jesus, he is the anointed. And it's the anointed body of Christ. You're anointed with an anointed word to produce something in you. You can't stop it. It's a runaway freight train. It's the anointed body of Christ proving manifested God like that body did. Hallelujah. Jesus couldn't stop it either. He couldn't help but be what he was at 12 years old as they were looking for him. As we heard on the weekend, as they they lost him, they came and said, what are you doing? He says, I must be about my father's business. At 12 years old, I can't stop myself. Hallelujah. Because he was anointed. He was the anointed one. And you're the anointed church. You can't help but being united to the word of God. Oh, Lord, help us to preach the word. That the bride would be anointed with the word. Because she can't help but be united to the word. Glory. He is the anointed and it's the anointed body of Christ. Proving manifested God like that body did. And that body redeemed these bodies. She is now risen and by the power of the vindicated word promised to her. Amen. How a bride holds that promise. He told me he'd return after me. I believe it. See? Yes, sir. To meet her headship, her redeemer, 
her husband, her king, her Lord, her lover, her savior in the provided meeting place. He's got a place to meet them. It started. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven as the musicians come. Why? The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And it doesn't stop there. Here's the key. Or here's the promise. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. The rapture is not just to live eternally. The rapture is for the bride. So shall we ever be with him. Hallelujah. There's going to be a meeting in the air. Let's stand together. You have heard of little Moses in the bulrush. You have heard of fearless David and his You have heard the story told of dreaming Joseph and of Jonah and the way you often see. There are many, many others through the Bible. I should like to meet them all. so tepid how many are going there there's going to be a meeting in the air the events are already unfolding you can't stop it you can only decide if you're going to be there because someone's going and if one's going I'm one if two's going I'm one of those two you got to decide it's not about this world we got nothing to do with it It's for the bride of Jesus Christ. Because many things there will be missing at that meeting. Many things there will be missing in that meeting. For the mourners men shall have.
Aren't you looking forward to that? Aren't you glad it's out of your control? I'm so glad it's not up to me. If it was up to me, I'd never make it. But I'm resting in Him. I believe Him, what He said. And I believe He will perform what He said He will perform. That's all. I may not understand it all, but I believe He's got it under control. I believe every one of my children are going to be there. I just believe it. It's not about whether I feel it or not. It's that I believe it. They're all going to be there because he said I could have them. I just believe that many of you are going to be there. And I don't know who's going to be there but I pray that not one of you won't be there. But you have to believe for yourself. This is my message. This is my bridegroom. And no matter what I go through in life, I know that He loves me. Let's bow our heads together. just as we close the the service why don't you just some way in your own heart when your own expression in your own way just say Lord I love you Heavenly Father Lord as we bow in your presence this evening thanking you for being able to be here in the midweek with saints of like precious faith oh so glad we could close the doors from the world as it were the 
evil overflowing and outpouring of this age that the demon powers that have broken forth and and have taken control of governments and news outlets and media and and internet and so many things lord oh but yet we serve a mighty god that still we can close ourselves in with you and hear your word and it so resonates within our hearts it causes us to cry out oh god we love you lord we thank you lord we rejoice in your word oh god we thank you for your presence here tonight And Lord, we cast our cares upon you, knowing that you care for us. Lord, we give you ourselves afresh tonight. Forgive us our shortcomings. Lord, forgive us our trespasses. Pour your revelation into our life. Put strength in where there was once weakness, O God. Put victory where there was once defeat. Let there be healing where there was sickness, O God. Let there be liberty where there was captivity, Father. In every way, Lord, may you just pour yourself into every life, meeting every need, quickening every soul, giving, O God, that position to your pride that you have for her, Lord. We thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace, Lord. We commit this service to you. May the word that was spoken take anchor in a heart with predestinated seed. Lord, that will cause faith to rise up. Not just tonight, but in the days ahead, Lord. And when the enemy would come in, Lord, there'd be a faith that would drive him away. Lord, we commit ourselves to you. We love you. Be with those that aren't here tonight, traveling to different parts of the world. At this time of year where there's holidays, be with the saints that have gone south to the meetings and overseas to Europe at the meetings and, Lord, different places. Lord, may you be with each and every one. And if if you would grant us enough days, if we would gather again on Easter morning here at the church, may you anoint our pastor with a special anointing, Lord. How we love his ministry and the gift that you put in the body. We thank you for it, Lord. And Brother Murphy also Sunday night. We thank you for him, Lord. And we ask, Lord, you'd be with each one. And if not, may we be gathered at that meeting in the air. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this time we've had together. We commit all things to you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Don't you love him? Amen. Shake hands with one another as you go. God bless you. The service is dismissed in Jesus' name.